reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 10, uh, from verse 40 to 42. This can be found on page 976 of the Bibles provided. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Emmanuel, thank you very much for reading those verses. Good morning, and may I add my warm welcome to Emmanuel's. Uh, it's great to see you here. My name's Phil. I'm one of the ministers uh, here at Christchurch. And we come to the end this morning of Matthew chapter 10. We've looked at it over the last seven sermons with a break in the middle at half term, and uh, today's the final uh, sermon. So before we come and look at these verses, um, let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts this morning to see something new from your word. May it be all about Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed earlier there watching Kevin's testimony on the screen as much as I did filming it. Can I say, if you're ever in need of cheering up, then I'd encourage you to go around to his house, pay him a visit. He loves to see people. I don't know the last time he was out. It was probably months ago, out of that room, out of that bed. Um, and please, if you're interested, then do. Because to be told by a paraplegic that life is beautiful is a wonderfully challenging and encouraging thing, isn't it? Kevin once told me that he used to cry and curse and be so angry at the world due to his illness, but that now, knowing Jesus, he laughs. He laughs. Amazing. And what's made the difference? Well, of course, that's the wrong question, isn't it? What's made the difference? It's not a what that has made the difference to Kevin's life. It's a who. A who. Who has made it the difference? And well, actually, you heard it in the video, didn't you, there? Who has made the, the difference to, to Kevin's life? Well, Jesus has made all the difference. Finding himself at the foot of the cross, being asked, what would you say at the foot of the cross? And he's led to realize that the sacrifice Jesus made was for him. And it's transformed him spiritually and emotionally and mentally and one day physically too. And as Eunice, I'm going to name drop her there because it was Eunice who, who was the lady, I believe, who asked that question to Kevin. As Eunice asked that question uh, to Kevin in the room, uh, she could have made it all about doing things, couldn't she? She could have said, do this, do that, do the other, and you could find peace with God. She could have made it all about her. I, when I discovered this, this new thing, this new message, then it transformed me. But no, she made it all about Jesus. I, I mean, I imagine that her opening line wasn't, what do you say to Jesus at the foot of the cross? Uh, probably. But that's where she got to. And that's what Kevin remembers. Because that's what made all the difference. The person who made all the difference. And in Matthew chapter 10, we've seen Jesus' instructions to his disciples as he sends them out on mission for him. And what I want us to see this morning is that this whole chapter 
and these last few verses as well, focus our attention on a person, the person of Jesus. And they show us that our mission is all about sharing Jesus. Now, as we begin, I'm, I'm making an assumption here. I'm making an assumption that here in church, uh, you believe in Jesus and you want to go out on mission for him. You want to share him with others. But I know that isn't the case. So perhaps those of you who are listening in this morning, for whom that's not the case, well, perhaps you might uh, know this, that we're all about sharing Jesus because the Christian gospel, the good news of the Bible, is all about Jesus, a person. Look to verse 40, and, and I think we see a hint of it in the first verse that we had read for us by Emmanuel. Jesus says this, anyone who welcomes you, he's speaking to his disciples, to the 12, those who have been following around, anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. Do you see the chain of command in that verse? Anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me, says Jesus. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me, God the Father. Disciple, Jesus, God the Father. The chain of command. And speaking to the 12, Jesus says that if anyone welcomes you, then he welcomes me. And if anyone welcomes me, then they welcome the Father. The disciple is all about sharing Jesus, and Jesus leads people to the Father, to God the Father, the one who made them. So here's the big idea from this morning, and it's this, that Jesus sends us out not to share a thing, and not to share what we have, but to share who we are in Christ, to share him with other people. It's all about sharing Jesus. And the way I want to do it this morning is, is to split the sermon into two halves. Because it's the last one in the series, I want to see that in chapter 10 that we've looked at already, from the end of chapter 9, actually. We're going to go through those, those, that chapter quite quickly. I want to pull, pull out a few points and show you that it's, it's all about Jesus through those verses. And then we'll land and finish in these, these final three verses at the end. So it's all about sharing Jesus. Now, hopefully, something might come up on the screen behind me if you click a button. Is there anything else, Paul? Oh, excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. It's all about sharing Jesus. Good. And what I would like, love it for you to do, if you haven't got a Bible, then there are still some, I hope, on the trolley out there, and, and it will really help you if you have one in your hands uh, to flick through. You can get one on your device as well, I suppose, if you don't want to get up and wander. Uh, but we're going to start in chapter 9 and verse 35. And I want us to see that everything we've looked at in these verses over the last couple of months, it's all about sharing Jesus. Because we start by being motivated by Jesus' love, motivated by Jesus' love. Do you remember that? Back in chapter 9 and verse 36, we saw that what motivates Jesus to send his disciples out into the world is a great love for the people that he sees. What does it say? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You see, it's not that we have to summon up the love within us, to go out to other people and reach them with the gospel. No, wonderfully, we just have to see this. We have to see the love of Jesus here in the, in the gospel writ large, that he would go to the cross and give up his life for us and allow that to be our motivation, not our great love for these poor people over here, but Jesus' great love for the world. We started by being motivated by Jesus' love. Secondly, we were, we were reminded and, and saw that we are to be dependent on his Father. How do those verses continue? Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, we saw that uh, though God might delight in using ordinary people, uh, fishermen and Finnish men, uh, tax collectors and tax auditors, still ultimately it's his harvest and he is Lord of it. And the Lord of the harvest decides when the crop is ready to be collected. And he sends his workers out into the harvest field to gather in the crop. And so we are to be those who are dependent on Jesus' Father, on the Lord of the harvest. One of the highlights of the past 10 weeks has been uh, to gather on Zoom just for 15 minutes on a Friday morning, 7 a.m. It's been in the CCH News every week uh, with a small but committed number of people. And we've prayed for a spiritual harvest in the town of Harpenden. And that's absolutely the right place to start because we're dependent on God, God the Father, the Lord of the harvest. And we ask him to work in people's lives. So remember, we don't trick or cajole or manipulate people into the kingdom of God. That will never work. Rather, as we go out for God, we do so remembering that he is the Lord of the harvest and we're dependent on him. We go in dependence on him. So we're to be motivated by his love, dependent on his father. We're to share his words and deeds. Jesus gathers the 12 to him and he sends them out and he gives them instructions from verse 5 of chapter 10. Uh, At the end of the day uh, today or the end of the service today, we'll go out into the world, won't we? Quite literally, some of us will go all around the world, flying on business trips, uh, perhaps Singapore or wherever. We might go to Sainsbury's this week. We might go to Sri Lanka. In this room, all of us will go all over the place, won't we? But as we go, if we believe in Christ, then we go first of all as a disciple of him. And a disciple of Jesus has words to share and a mandate to love and serve other people. Words and deeds. Do you remember the disciples are to speak? Okay, they've got a message to proclaim in verse 7. But they're also to meet the needs of the people around them. To heal people, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who have leprosy, to drive out demons. Verse 8. Now, we're not in the same space and time as the 12 disciples. We shouldn't necessarily expect the same supernatural manifestation. But we're still to go and to tell, and we're still to love and to serve. That's what Jesus calls us to do. His words, his deeds. And all of that speaking and doing together serves the purpose of proclaiming his kingdom. Do you see it's all about Jesus? Are you getting the point? His words and deeds, his kingdom. What's verse 7? What's the message that the disciples are to take? As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, it was near in the first century, wasn't it? If you were close to Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven was near because the king was near, physically present there. But now, in a sense, the kingdom of God is even nearer. Why do I say that? Well, remember how Matthew's gospel ends. Jesus ascends to heaven and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us now by his Spirit, living inside every believer. And so we go in his power to witness to his kingdom, filled with his spirit. The kingdom of God, at least in a, in a partial sense, is not just near, it's, it's here. It's here. So this is the mission of the church still. It's all about sharing Jesus. 
but to be motivated by his love, dependent on his father, sharing his words and deeds, proclaiming his kingdom. I wonder, how do we shape up? What strikes you from that list? We'll come back to that question. But you see, it's not just in these verses the, the, the task that Jesus gives us. He also lays out the expectations, what we ought to face as we go, what we should expect. And so you see, as we come from verse 16 onwards of chapter 10, we saw that like Jesus, we should expect opposition. Like Jesus, we should expect opposition. We saw, didn't we, how Jesus didn't give the soft sell, but he gave a very realistic list of all the possible op- opposition that the disciples would face, from hatred to rejection even to death. Isn't it good to know the score as we follow this Jesus? He doesn't try and trick us. He tells us elsewhere, though, doesn't he? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And this opposition, remember, is exactly what he faced. If you've got the Bible there, look over there at uh, at verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master, Skip down to 25. If the head of the house has be called Beelzebub, people call Jesus Beelzebul, then how much more the members of his household? So it's nothing that Jesus didn't face. But he warns us, like me, you will face opposition. But wonderfully, with him, we need not worry. With him, we need not worry. You see, we started our service this morning, didn't we, with verse 29. God knows even when a sparrow falls to the ground, and so how much more will he know, not know, when one of our hairs fall to the ground, for are we of not more value than many sparrows? Of course we are. More than that, do you remember from a couple of weeks ago, not only does he care, but he knows. Those who acknowledge Jesus before the Father, verse 32, I w- before others, sorry, verse 32, Jesus will acknowledge them before his Father in heaven. Jesus cares and he knows, and with him, we don't need to worry. We are to be looking to an eternity with him. Running out of space at the bottom there. But there we are. Looking to an eternity with him. You see, we're to have an eternal perspective. This passage is full of encouragements from Jesus to look forward to the future, not to be worried about the present. We're to care more about our souls than our bodies. Jesus says, doesn't he, in verse 28, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. You should be afraid of the one who can cast your soul into hell. And so the follower of Jesus has this eternal perspective on their minds, looking beyond this life to the future. Is it worth talking to that neighbor or that particularly awkward friend or family member? The one who gives you jip? Well, yeah, you can bet it is. Because eternity is at stake and we're to care more about that than we are our own comfort. Challenge. And we're to be those who love him the most. I'm not sure it's going to fit on there, is it? But never mind. We're to be those who love him. It's probably down there on the the curtain or something like that. We're we're to be those who love him the most. Love him the most. We saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the end, um, just before verse 40 there. Um, Jesus says, doesn't he, in verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is to have the most of our love. 
His love is never-ending and vast and eternal. Our love will only ever be a pale reflection of his. But love him the most we must, more than anything and everyone. Jesus says we're not worthy of him if we put other things or people above him. So there we are, Christchurch Halfland, and our mandate from Matthew chapter 10. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, no, no, not quite. I thought you'd managed it, Paul. Never mind. We're missing the, we're missing the eighth sentence. Well, I'll have a cast your, I'm just going to pause for a moment and cast your eyes over that and what I've said. And maybe there's one line from this summary you'd just like to take away and, and, and commit to pray, pray about and to think about for yourself a little bit more. Just pause for 10 seconds and allow you to do that and think about that. Well, thank you for uh, indulging me. I enjoyed going back through these verses and trying to see if we could piece it all together to make it a coherent whole. It's all about sharing Jesus. It is. And there's a challenge uh, and an encouragement for us, uh, a mix from those, uh, those, those statements behind me. But as we bring this series into land, I just want us to look at the last few verses in Matthew chapter 10. No more flicking around um, this morning. And they are verses which are notably encouraging. There's been some hard words of Jesus in this chapter that we've looked at. But these verses are notably encouraging. After all, they speak repeatedly about rewards. Did you notice? Three times, three verses. Rewards, rewards, rewards. And who doesn't love a reward? I mean, the world around us is certainly searching for rewards all the time, isn't it? Uh, People fight for the right remuneration at work. They want the reward of a quiet retirement after a hectic and busy and stressful work life. They diet for the reward of a healthier life. They buy stuff because they're promised the reward will be happiness and comfort. And if we're honest, we buy into elements of that, don't we? But the ultimate reward for a faithful Christian life is not found in this world. It's actually found in the next world, in heaven, just like we heard from Kevin earlier. Eternity with the one who made us and knows us and loves us. I want us to see that from just these few verses um, in front of us. First, from what we've seen in Matthew chapter 10, the idea of reward, you might have noticed as we came through those verses that we've just read, comes up again and again. In verse 22, Jesus talks about being saved. Verse 32, Jesus acknowledges people before the Father. Verse 39, just before our passage there, those who find their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, find it eternally. So we have this idea of a future reward all through this chapter. Heaven, salvation, being acknowledged and introduced to the Father, finding life which is truly life. But look with me at the the structure of these verses, and we'll see an even clearer help at hand. Because really, these these verses include the, the same idea repeated four times. And the idea is this, that if someone welcomes a follower of Jesus because they are a follower of Jesus, and Emmanuel's translation there was particularly helpful. Did you notice how it said, welcome a disciple because they are a disciple of mine. That's the right sense. So whoever is welcomed because they are a follower of Jesus, then that person who welcomes them will share in that follower's reward. So verse 40, if you like, is like the principle, which 41 and 42 unpack. What's the principle? Anyone who welcomes you, we've seen it already, welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That chain 
of command, from disciple to Jesus to the Father. So the reward that the disciple shares with people is not so much even a place or, or even actually a future. It's right back to this idea that's been traced through all the way through this chapter this morning. It's a person, isn't it? The reward that the disciple shares with other people is a person. Do you see? Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, says Jesus, a person. And I will show them the way to the Father. The reward is a person. And Jesus then gives three examples of how this works out in different, if you like, strata of society. And he starts with the prophets. The prophets, those who are those who speak the words of God. And so, uh, in light of verse 40, Jesus says this, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Now, what is this? Is the, is the prophet dishing out Haribo as he goes? No. It's not that the prophet is dishing out the reward. Rather, the person who receives the prophet as a prophet, because he's a prophet, receives the same reward that the prophet enjoys. Maybe we can be helped by thinking about some examples of some actual prophets. I'll choose one that perhaps many of us will be familiar with, the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. Uh, what danger was Nineveh in, the place where God sent Jonah to? Well, it was in very, very great danger indeed. They were sinning against the Lord, and so God sent Jonah as a prophet there. And do you remember his message? It wasn't particularly inspiring. Yet 40 more days, he says, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the message. And yet the people of Nineveh listened. They repented. They listened to Jonah. They welcomed him as a prophet. And their city was saved. And the people of the city came to enjoy, if you like, the same reward as that of Jonah the prophet, knowledge and pleasure of God, because they received him as a prophet, as one sent from God. And he brought salvation in some limited sense there for that city. Then Jesus speaks about righteous people, prophets, righteous people. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Again, it's not that the righteous person is dishing out rewards. It's that the person who receives that righteous person enjoys the same reward that they do. Again, let's think of two more examples. One negative. Think of Noah, a man who's described in the Old Testament as a righteous man. That's how he's described. And yet the people around him don't receive him as a righteous man, do they? They watch him building the ark, and they don't do anything. They don't join him. They don't talk to him. We're not told what they do. But they don't enjoy the reward of him, the righteous man, because they don't welcome him as a righteous man. And the consequence is the flood. A positive example, John the Baptist, another man who's described as a righteous man. Thousands of people recognize him as a righteous man, and they flock to hear him in the desert. And he baptizes them for his ministry as a ministry of introduction to the king, the one who will come to baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. You see, the people received John as a righteous man, and they received a righteous man's reward, an introduction to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And then Jesus goes all the way down, if you like, to the bottom of the triangle. What does he say, verse 42? If anyone gives even a cup of water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So now we have the little people, the disciples of Jesus. Are you happy to be a little one for Jesus? I think I am. I think I could, I could rest quite happily there. A little one for Jesus. 
And Jesus says, if any such little one is shown even the most basic act of hospitality because they are a follower of me, because they are a follower of me, then that person will be rewarded. And what is their reward? Well, back to verse 40. Their reward, if they welcome you, is that they are welcoming the very God who breathed them into existence. Wow. By recognizing you as a follower of Jesus and welcoming you because of that, not in spite of that, there's plenty of that that goes on, isn't there? People, oh yeah, I like, I like so-and-so. You know, he, he seems to be a good cricket player. We can have a nice chat about that soap last night on the TV. But they're not welcoming you because you're a Christian, because you're a follower of Jesus. They're not interested in that part of your life. But somebody who welcomes you and does so, knowing you're a believer, and they want to hear more, and they're interested. Well, their reward is to hear about Jesus, and Jesus leads them to the Father. Their reward is connection with the God who made them. So you see, here is the absolute key point from this morning. I hope you've seen it. It's been repeated again and again. We're not to take stuff or things or clever techniques to people. We're to take Jesus to people. Put it another way, we're not to take what we have. We're to take who we are in Christ. Because as you go, as a follower of Jesus, being upfront and honest about that to other people, well then, Jesus goes with you by his Spirit. And wherever the Son and the Spirit are, there the Father is also. The reward is God himself. And so if the reward is God, then these verses encourage us that it's not so much what we're sharing as who we're sharing. You see, unlike the world's rewards, the Christian reward is not an earned reward, is it? You can't earn God. Rather, it's given to us as a gift, knowledge of the Father. Well, as we close, I want to ask what we should do with this and these encouraging verses, I think, from the end of Matthew chapter 10. Well, first I've got, uh, I'm going to end on the encouragement, but first I've got a wrong application. Then I've got two small challenges and then one big encouragement, okay? So the first is this, the wrong application. Here's the wrong application, okay? And maybe, I don't know if this went through anyone's mind. It didn't go through my mind the first time I read it, but then I read it again and I thought maybe people might think this. One wrong application would be for you all to rush after the service and go and grab all those cups of water there and start handing them out to as many people as you can because you want the reward. And it says here, doesn't it, if anyone gives a cup of water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, then you'll get a reward. Sounds great. I want a reward. But that would be a wrong understanding of what Jesus is saying here. That's not why Jesus says it. Because this reward, as we've seen, is not one that can be earned. Did you see in verse 42 the interesting way Jesus puts it? He doesn't say, actually, these little ones will be rewarded if they give a cup of water. He says they surely won't lose their reward. So the reward is something they already enjoy. And the gift of a cup of water is simply a a sign, if you like. It shows that they already enjoy this relationship with the Father, that they know God, that they have the reward already. We have the reward. We can't can't get any greater. The gospel says we can never earn our relationship with him. Two small challenges The first is this. It might actually be quite a big challenge. Do people know we represent Jesus? I mean, that's kind of the assumption behind these verses, isn't it? Do people know we represent Jesus? Do do they know that we believe in him? Are our lives and our words and our family life and our dealings with people Jesus-y? That doesn't mean perfect. It does not mean perfect. But what it does mean is that when we make mistakes, we apologize about it. We show grace to others when they make mistakes to us. We live out the gospel. 
Just as Jesus has given us freely, we read that in those verses, didn't we? So we are to give freely to others. Are our lives like that? Do they speak of Jesus using his name as well as using our energy? Uh, sorry, using our um, actions. But what does it look like in the way that we use our time and our money and our energy? It shouldn't look the same for absolutely every single one of us here in this room. But neither should it look the same as your neighbor next door who doesn't know Jesus. Do our lives speak of Christ? Second challenge is, a, is quite a specific thing. Um, and uh, we've seen one of the things a Christian is to do is to share Jesus' words. And uh, one uh, member of the church has um, very generously offered to buy as many of these as we can give away. Okay? And now that's not a job for the staff team. That's a job for all of us. These are little pocket Bibles. Uh, this one's black. There's some lovely turquoise ones out on the side. And even one brown, special edition. And uh, these are tiny, aren't they? They're small. You can hardly tell it's in my pocket. Smaller than my smartphone. And the idea is this, that if you know somebody who might like a Bible, the words of Jesus, the word of the Lord, the word of God, uh, and you can think of a, a good way to give, give it to them, then there's a whole stack of them out on the foyer there, and there's more boxes to come, I'm told. Please take one and give them if you know that they will go to somebody who'd appreciate them. Uh, it might be that you said, we've got some of these at church, and, and we were handing them out for free, and I thought you might like one. Uh, you might know that the person doesn't want one. You might say instead... Uh, um, I thought you should have one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's numerous ways you can play it, aren't there? But if you could think of somebody whom you could give this to, then they are free and they're there to take and they'll be there for the, this Sunday and, and the next few Sundays as well. But then finally, let's close with an encouragement. Because what an awesome privilege to be an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to take him with us as we go out into his world. You see, with Jesus' name on your lips and seen in your actions, you take God within reach of other people. And when they welcome you because you're a disciple of him, then they share in the greatest reward that this world has to offer, knowledge of and relationship with the living God. So let's finish with this encouragement. May we go. Jesus sends out the disciple. May we be sent out into Harpenden and beyond. And as we go, may we take Jesus to a watching and a waiting and a needy world. It's his love that compels us. It's his words that endure. It's his kingdom that we proclaim. It's he himself who is to be first in our life and he himself who is to be our reward. We're going to stand and sing a song which encourages us to see that as our responsibility. Go forth and tell. As the musicians start, let's stand and sing together.